and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of The Rimmer Call, and just praise God as we are, um, we're in the season of Passover now, uh, which started at sundown last evening, and, and I know there's so many debates about when the date is, so please don't email me because there's so many different opinions, but the truth is what took place 2,000 years ago, roughly, is so relevant for where we are right now. And what a sad, sad thing when people can't stop talking about egg-laying rabbits. When they keep mentioning that word, I hate to even say it, but for the sake of knowledge, Easter, Ishtar. When they reference the name of a pagan fertility goddess, And they elevate that up to the level of our Lord by calling the Passover that name. What a shame. And how the world, and especially those who call themselves believers, miss the truth of the one who was slain for a silly festival of finding eggs from rabbits. Folks, this is a serious time, and our God had a serious plan. So this message will be of the utmost importance. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in the name above every name, Yeshua, Jesus. I thank you for the truth. Jesus, you are the truth. Father, I thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Lord, I ask tonight that this episode will be a thank you love letter back to you. That you would touch our hearts. That we would see that this is the hour. This is the time that when all that took place years ago, you knew that we would one day be here in 2020 in the situation that we are in now. You knew we would need that sacrifice. Lord, bless this show. In the name of your precious Son, Yeshua. Amen. Folks, I want to share with you, it is the Passover season. But this is not just the same as any time. We are in a different life now. It's a different world now. And I know there's people, well, you know, things are going to look like they may get better. They may, they may not. I, folks, it, it doesn't matter. The spiritual nature of this world is different. And God calling his believers to walk 
a deeper, a walk that's separate from this world, a walk that is totally being led by the Master Himself. Tonight's message is serious. It's not a motivational speech or an ear-tickling message, no. It's serious. This is the time of the Holy Passover, the Lord's Feast. Roughly 1,987 years ago, give or take on which which year you calculate the death of Jesus, was an event that was so powerful we are still talking about it all over the world. And yet there are those who will say death and resurrection of Jesus never happened. But I know of no other event in history that 2,000 years almost after it happened that is still changing the hearts of the drunkards, the minds of the drug addicts, softening the hearts of the hard-hearted, opening the eyes of the blind, raises the dead, offers salvation to prostitutes, forgiveness to thieves, and makes believers out of tax collectors. He is the greatest man in history, and he had no servants, yet they called him master. He had no degrees, yet they called him teacher. Had no medicine, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, yet he lives today. That is what I want to share with you tonight. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. You know the story well. Moses had finally had enough. He had told the Pharaoh, he had threatened him that not only the death of the firstborn, but of every man and beast if they did not come under the blood of the Lord's Passover lamb. He had told them what was going to happen. And picking up the story in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1, it says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month they shall take of them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the house be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto him, uh, unto his house, take it unto according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats, and ye shall keep it until up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts of the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it, and they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the prudence thereof. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be unto you for a token 
upon the house where uh, where you are, and when ye when I see the blood, I will pass over, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So here God tells the children of Israel, I want you to kill this lamb. You're going to put the blood over the door houses. And, you, and if you put it over the door houses, you will, I will pass over. But for those who don't, he will take out the firstborn of the land. And it is going to be a testimony against everyone, even the false gods of Egypt. God was very serious. You see, back then it didn't matter how great Pharaoh was. It didn't matter how poor and abused the Israelites were. The playing field at this moment was now even. The only way to survive was to come under the blood. There was simply no other way to make it except under the blood. The rich, the poor, the pharaoh, the slave, the servant, all were even. You must have been under the blood. It was such a simple yet very powerful command from God, yet the people still had the right to choose. Isn't it interesting that even when God says, this is how you're going to survive that night, he still gives you the choice to decide to go a different way. Fast forwarding 1,500 years. For three and a half years, Jesus had been preaching the kingdom of God. He was healing the sick, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, and offering forgiveness to society's worst. Even though he was lied about, Attempts to have him stoned, he was hated by the leaders of the church, all for the crime of doing good. There had been over a thousand years of prophecy, and three and a half years of the most powerful ministry ever seen on this earth, and Jesus is beginning to feel the weight of the burden of sin that he must bear. For an ungrateful people, disciples that refused to understand because their own desires were greater than their master's very words. Truth meant nothing to Jesus' disciples because their desire to seem Rome smashed was viewed as greater than their sins being forgiven. The need to sit on the left and the right hand of Jesus in his kingdom meant more than the salvation for all people. And on top of all this hurt and disappointment, Jesus knew the scriptures well. He knew what Isaiah said in chapter 52 and verse 14 when he said, As many were stonied at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Or as it says in another translation, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured. He seemed hardly human, and from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. You see, Jesus knew that what was coming, even after he had told his disciples, and he saw their struggling and their bickering and their wanting to be power on the left and the right hand, and the desire to see Rome smashed and the enemies destroyed instead of people being saved, and Jesus knowing that he was going to be beaten worse than anyone else in the world, he still continued to move forward. I mean, how does one reconcile that in his mind? Remember, Jesus was not only fully divine, he was fully human at the same time. And he has the same struggles on this earth as, folks, we had, yet without sin. 
knowing that you're going to be beaten worse than anyone ever, for a bunch of selfish, uncaring, backstabbing people. Many just used him so that they could get some food. Very few had a truly genuine love for him, except a few women, especially Mary Magdalene, knowing the depths of what it meant to be delivered and forgiven. Even today, so often, we see the same lack of respect and care for the things of God. Little has changed in 2,000 years. Faced with a mountain of emotion, turmoil, Jesus begins to climb up to the garden carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. The burden of man's sins begins to weigh heavy upon Jesus. And as any human would desire to do, he reaches out to his disciples in his darkest moments here on the earth, and he needs them to pray. And what happens? Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and he said unto his disciples, Sit ye here, while I go pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful, very heavy. Then saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye, and watch with me. So here Jesus is, he's at that moment, he's suffering the sin of the whole world, the weight of all of our burdens are upon his shoulders, and he needs at that moment for his disciples to be there and tarry and watch. He needed them to pray. The Bible says he went a little further and he fell on his face and praying said, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples and he findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Jesus is suffering. He's going through literally hell right now on earth, carrying the sin of this world on his shoulders. He asks his close, trusted friends to pray. And they sleep. And they sleep. You see, there was a storm that was going on all around. The forces of evil were coming down on the shoulders of Jesus as the sin of this world was being pressed upon him. When they, like they laid their hands upon the Lamb with all their weight, the, lamb, the sin of this world was coming down on Jesus. There was a storm going on in the spiritual world, and yet his disciples slept. Jesus says to him, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So here, Jesus, he's struggling, and he, he's, the human t side is coming up and saying, Lord, you know, if, if this cup may not pass, then because in his in in his heart he he knows that the human nature is to to try to get alpha, but he says no. Nevertheless, it's not my will, Father. It's your will be done. He knew that he must drink the cup. So Jesus goes and prays a third time. In the book of Luke, we begin to get a deeper look into Jesus' prayer when it says this in Luke chapter twenty-two and verse forty-two, saying, "Father." If thou wilt be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 
Jesus knew the only way that this earth could be saved is if he drank the cup of his father's wrath. As the sweat poured down his face so heavy, the Bible said he was sweating blood. Knowing he was about to be betrayed by his own friends, most didn't even care. Those who proclaimed that they were leaders of the church at that time wanted to crucify him. His disciples were going to desert him. They slept while he wept. He was going to be beaten like nobody had ever suffered in the history of this world. The guilt of the sin of this world was causing blood to come out of his very pores. He would be hanging naked on a cross to be completely humiliated, mocked ruthlessly and publicly, beginning to feel all of this wrath coming down on here, his father's wrath punishing the sin that he could have called down 10,000 angels, but instead he cries out and says, not my will, but thy will be done. What Jesus was saying is, that's it, Father. I'm all in. I know they don't care. I know they betrayed me. I know they deserve death, but I love them. I'm willing to endure the sufferings of the cross for the prize that is laid up. I am not willing to suffer for the very wrath of hell to save this. I am willing to suffer the very wrath of hell to save this world, Father. Not my will, but thine be done. With those words... The decision of all decisions that had ever been made culminated in those very short words began the journey of Jesus' last hours as he passed in front of the rulers and the religious elite as they condemned him to the cross. And he began his journey down the Via Dolorosa. I can only imagine what it was like at that moment. When knowing that the, that the enemies of hell are mocking you, knowing that those who you came to save don't care about you, knowing that those who you loved will crucify you, knowing that those who you are going to die for will humiliate you, Carrying this weight of the world down as you've been beaten and you're bleeding and the stripes along your back and the crown of thorns upon your head and the blood running through your eyes as you're being led to your own death and yet he still keeps going. You see, it's hard to understand that kind of love. It's hard to understand a price that would be paid like that. When Jesus says, not my will, but thy will be done. Who in this earth would ever go through something like that for people who mocked him relentlessly? Who in this earth, what one of us, would he put up with any kind of friend that even did one ounce of that kind of stuff to us? Yet we do it to the Lord, and he still went to the cross. At that moment, there was a signal being sent out to the spirit realm and the whole universe at the same time that the love is willing to endure all things. There is no price too high for God to pay to save you and me. Jesus was all in. This was divine intervention to save those who couldn't save themselves. 
and I look at this and I, and I think to myself, what do I say? What can I possibly say at this moment when I see my sin, when I see what I've done wrong, and I see what the Lord's done, what can I say? Except for thank you. And yet it seems so inadequate. Thank you doesn't even describe the gratitude, nor does it rise to the level of appreciation of the King of Kings to suffer such wrath. But what can I do? I mean, I want to do something because I know he laid his life down. I mean, he did it all. But what can I do to say, God, I'm so thankful from the bottom of my heart for allowing your only son to die to pay the price for my sins? God, I know And I understand that by your stripes, by the beating you took, that I am healed and I want to do something for you, Lord. You're worth it. Everything you did was worth it. You saved my life, my family. You provide me with everything I need. You are worth it. I can think back, folks, over the years of the ups and downs, the positives and negatives, and, and, and what it's like being a believer and, and having to be around non-believers and all the trials and the families that we go through. And, 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 and my, I'm looking at all this, and, and, and I'm thinking that cared so much that no matter what I was going through, he never left me. But what am I going to do from today going forward? Jesus made it clear. He's ready to wipe the slate clean and start us over again. You see, it's so often when we come to moments in crisis, like what's going on right now in the world, when we come to moments in time where the paycheck's not there or the bad messages come about, about the health of somebody or, or, our fine, or whatever the situation may be or a divorce in the family or, or whatever's going on, and, and there comes these times when we, when we see those that we begin to, to fall in this crisis internally in our spirit of what we want to do, and we feel so guilty because we feel like we haven't done anything. We can't even say thank you because our, our following the Lord, we mess up so many times, we, and, and we just feel horrible, and Jesus is yet still willing to start us out clean again. Turn back with me to Exodus chapter 12. What can we do? Verse 9, eat not of it raw nor sodden, at all with water, but roast it with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth until the morning ye shall burn with fire, and thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. God's saying, listen. I need you to partake of this Passover. Keep your shoes on. Keep your loins girded. Get your staff in your hand and eat it in haste. Be ready to move. 
You see, folks, what God wants us to do in this hour is he wants us to get out in the midst of the storm. He wants us to get out in the middle of the battle. And if you want to say thank you to the Lord for everything he's done, I've realized the best way you can do it is to share Jesus with somebody else. If you want to say thank you to God, tell somebody about what he's doing. Be ready to move for the Lord. Be ready to do what he says. Be ready to go at a moment's notice. 28. God gives those amazing marching orders. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And I realize when you look at these messages, you look at what he said in Exodus, you look at what he said in Matthew, he's saying is he came and laid his life down to pay the price, but he wants us to go and share it with others. If you think you can just sit idle any longer and call yourself a believer, you're fooling yourself. God is calling us to shine. When, when Jonah was in the midst of the storm and he was sleeping on the boat, and he's a picture kind of the church in this hour. See, Jesus was sleeping on the boat, but he was doing the Lord's will. Jonah was sleeping on the boat because he was out of the Lord's will. And so Jonah is not doing the Lord's will. He comes, he gets shaken awake, and the only way he can calm the very wrath of God is to jump out into the middle of the storm into the ocean. Jesus sleeping in the Lord's will in the midst of the storm. The only way he calms it is to walk out into the midst of the storm to bring peace. Folks, God is calling us for the peace in our lives means we need to get out into this storm we call life and take the gospel to a dying world. See, God was calling Jonah at that moment to get out and to share this message of repentance with the people of Nineveh so that God could spare their very lives, and Jonah was not following what, they, what he was supposed to do. But when he finally gave in and he got out in the middle of the ocean, God had a vessel prepared to take him right to where he's supposed to be. And now at this moment, it seems so scary at times with what's going on in this world, and we're worried about we can't get out and share the good news or we can't do anything. And God's got a vessel prepared for us right now as a way we can do something for him. You can't remain sleeping in the boat when there's a storm going on in this world. The church is asleep and God is calling us to march. You want to say thank you? You want to say thank you to God? Get your father's business. There comes a day when you have to stop moaning and groaning. You got to stop going, woe is me. You got to stop blaming others. You got to stop blaming the Democrats. You got to stop blaming the false prophets and the false church. You got to stop blaming these people and take responsibility for yourselves. Because being a believer means you face what you've done wrong and you allow God to change it for the better. The very 
first step to my recovery during my years of drug addiction is when I finally came clean with the utter filthy wretch that who I was, and I took responsibility. I went broken to the Lord with tears and weeping, not hiding anything anymore, and he changed my life. But it wasn't until I took that responsibility of coming clean with who I truly was, and I came to him, and he changed my life forever. God is willing to start us clean. But he wants us to get in to the battle. And I know, folks, there's some out there, you can't get in there. You're older, you've got a disability, but you can pray. You can pray. I've said this so many times. If you've ever been in the military, the front line cannot survive without the rear support. Many of those who can't get out, you can be the rear support in prayer and helping the people who are taking the message on the front line to protect them with a covering of heavy prayer in this hour of need. Divine intervention was to send his son when the world didn't deserve it. He's at the end of the age again. And God is ready to do miracles. Are you willing to get on to his side? I don't know about you, but I want to be about my father's business. I'm going to end with prayer tonight. And I'm going to ask that God's going to do something in your heart that will change you that will give you strength to fulfill the mission in this hour. Don't you ever forget for one minute that no matter how bad it gets, we are still called to share the good news. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for forgiveness. I thank you for the Passover. I thank you, Lord, for the remnant that's been fasting around the world today. I thank you, Lord God, that there's a hunger in many people's hearts in this hour to know what to do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity and discernment to understand your will. But, Lord, I also pray for divine appointments and opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. I don't care what the world says there's always opportunity to share. Show us how, Lord. Give us the grace to fulfill that great commission. And Lord, knowing it's just a little bit longer, and this thing will be over. I thank you, Lord, for freeing those who feel guilty, Lord. I thank you for that brother or sister right now that feels that they're so lost, there's nothing they can do. Lord, that there's no way possible that you could forgive them. Lord, I pray that they would accept that you love them, even when they've hurt you. Lord, remind them that you came when you weren't even wanted. And you are still here today, and you are a specialist at forgiving sins, especially for those who will ask it in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father. We ask it all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This is Brother Frank on the Remnant Call saying good night.
and shalom.